welcome back to The Give and Go. I'm your co-host, Reynoso, here with my boy. Soltero, what's up, guys? The U.S. of A, baby. America. USA. Or better yet, the 1930s World Cup semifinalist. <laughs> there you uh, go. Making their 11th appearance now at the World Cup will be the USA after a crazy eight-year drought where they did not participate in a World Cup. It was only just one World Cup, but you really get the impact of missing a World Cup because, bro, it's been eight years since I've seen the U.S. on the World Cup stage, man. Yeah. That's... That was a different Reynoso, man. That's what I'm getting at. guy, bro. Let's look at their history leading up to this tournament. In 1930, like I said, they actually managed to go all the way to the semifinals. But it's because they won first in their group, which was group number four. But because there were such little teams, only 13 teams total, if you won your group, you immediately got put into the semifinals. Oh, wait, what? God. So they didn't have to win a knockout run or anything. They went straight to the finals, and they got pounced by Argentina six to one. I think from what I read when I looked that up, because I was like, how? Like how like how did that happen? I think there's a bunch of Irish American immigrants and they just gathered them all up to represent the USA what? at the time, right? Because obviously Americans didn't know football at the time. Yeah. So they're like, let's just get the Europeans to play for us. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm gonna fast forward basically from then to the modern era of football. In two thousand and two Good Lord. In two thousand and two the US had their best modern run in the World Cup going all the way to the quarterfinals yeah. after beating Mexico in the round of 16, man. I wish I was conscious then, man. I was only seven years old. I yeah. wish I was like a teenager watching that game because Dang. the idea of the USA and Mexico facing off in the World Cup, bro, yeah. that's only happened one time. And, and I missed it, man. I missed it. They went on to the quarterfinals, lost to Germany 1-0. In 2006, they had a group stage exit. And then in both 2010 and 2014, they had round of 16 exits, but they were both in extra time. So they, they got close, man. They yeah. really did get close to yeah. sniffing that quarterfinal appearance yet again, but ultimately fell short. I mean, how could you forget their last World Cup appearance where they went toe-to-toe -to -toe with Belgium, yeah. and Belgium just could not finish a shot for shit. No, dude. Tim Howard got so much praise for his saves that day, and ultimately, Belgium found a way through. Yeah. And they got that 2-1 win in overtime. USA has not played a World Cup game since then, man. Yeah. yeah Pretty yeah. crazy. After a number of years going through just a crazy rebuild, you know, a lot of discussion about how this USA team should be approached from the ground up. We see a new, rejuvenated, fresh United States squad arrive at the World Cup after what was a really interesting CONCACAF qualification cycle. Yeah. Ultimately ending up in third, right behind my beautiful Mexico, with 25 points, <laughs> seven wins, four draws, three losses, but getting really big results on their way there, where specifically I bring back Mexico, they Absolutely. managed to beat them once, tied them at the Azteca, and then also won the Gold Cup in the build-up to this tournament. So yeah. some really big achievements for the U.S. that hadn't really been attained in the past, marking a potential shift in the leadership and the genesis of CONCACAF, what we've known it to be. USA came into this qualification cycle trying to prove their doubters differently. They get drawn into Group B, where you have the most politicized group at the World Cup with the USA set to match up against England, yeah. Iran, 
and then Wales, man. Some incredible matchups await us <laughs> at Qatar, man. And it's exciting because the USA is like, regardless of the quality that they're at, they always make for such entertaining games. And I think that's something that actually CONCACAF kind of prides themselves on, man. They could potentially be an X factor in this tournament. They can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with England or they can get pounced by Iran, man. We have no idea truly what to expect of this USA team. But what we do know is that they make for such great entertaining games at the World Cup. And so regardless of that, man, I'm hyped to see them. I get so excited, bro, when I think about this specific USA squad here in 2022, simply because for me, this is the most technically gifted, dynamic, baller-oriented <laughs> USA team I think that we've ever seen. I'm talking about ballers, straight up ballers like Brandon Aronson, Christian Pulisic, Yunus Musa, Anthony Robinson, Serginho Des, and then even the fringe players for us are playing really well. Talking about players like Jesus Ferreira, Tyler Adams, box-to-box -box midfielder, and we'll get to them on a bigger deep dive when we do that squad analysis, but dude, Every single player I just named are playing in big leagues with big teams and have incredible talent. And that means a lot to me because I want to go back to those World Cups that you just mentioned here in the 2010. So in 2010, obviously my first World Cup where I was truly conscious and watched every single game. And I saw the U.S. play and I was like, ah, this, is, this is my team. I was like, shit, I want to play like Mexico. I, I wish our team played like Argentina, especially at the time I just didn't know, right? Mm -hmm. So I would see the USA play and I'm just like, fuck. I, it, we're missing something. Yeah. We're missing a little bit of spice, you know, a little bit of pizzazz. Because at the end of the day, that 2010 squad kind of had to make up for their lack in technique by using their athleticism. And that's one thing I will give the USA credit is that the way that they've been able to keep themselves competitive throughout the entire landscape of football is they use that physicality, that aggression. And truly, the USA have always played with a grit, a really aggressive and stern grit that has allowed them to get past the group stage and into the round of 16 in recent time. But it always left me wanting more, man, because... I always thought playing an aggressive style where you don't really focus or have an emphasis on technique, I always thought that that can only go so far, bro. And so for me, going into 2014, it was kind of the same thing. I was like, okay, we have good players, Jermaine Jones, you know, Michael mm, Bradley, yeah. maybe even Josie Altador. I was like, okay, this, this is a good team. Now we're not only aggressive, but we actually have some true talent sprinkled throughout the squad. And obviously that one is epitomized by the one and only Deuce Dempsey, man. Deuce, the greatest American striker to have ever walked this planet. And he was a part of that team. And I think that's why we were so successful. And then of course we had big characters at the back with like for example Tim Howard so there was talent throughout those squads in recent times but there was just always pockets throughout the pitch where I'm just like shit this player really can only use his athleticism for the main point of his talent and that always lacks for me at the end of the day because football is one of the most technical games on the planet in my opinion and so if you can maximize that then you can become the best team in the world so seeing those USA teams of 2010-2014 I was always like shit like, I want a little more. Because at the end of the day, I was like, we're gonna only go to the round of 16 and that's it. And that's exactly yep. what happened, yep. bro. And then going into 2018, we lost the only thing that made us competitive, that grit. 
We saw it throughout that qualification, losing on the road, and then at the very end, losing to Trinidad and Tobago. No disrespect, but come the fuck on, bro. <laughs> I remember when that happened, I was like, I was like, we've lost it. We've lost uh, it. We're, yeah. we're off our rocker yeah. right now. The USA team has no desire, no compassion for the sport. And I, I was just as mad as Twelman, man. And who wasn't? I, re I remember specifically, I was in my college dorm. And I, after I watched the game, I paced my room for like 20 minutes, just going back and forth, <laughs> thinking about what this actually meant yeah. for USA as a whole. Because as you said, eight-year drought is what that meant. Eight years since the next time we would make a World Cup appearance. And that's what's crazy. Because I, I have fond memories of 2018. Very fond. About a lot of the countries that I've been following for yep. years now. The USA is not one of those mm -hmm. memories. Because they weren't even fucking there. How crazy is that? But now, here in 2022, bro, we have not only a youthful squad... Not only a technical squad, finally, but I think we have that passion back, man. Have you seen Pulisic play when he puts on that USA jersey, especially in those Mexico games, man? He's a dog out there. He's screaming at his players, leading that front line. Not only that, he's taking it to every single defense that he goes against because he cares. And it's not just him. It spreads throughout that entire squad. And I think it does start with Greg Berhalter. As you said, after 2018, after that debacle, they said, let's shift. Let's shift our point of view. Let's go to a coach who knows the league. Let's stray away from the European style that we went with Jurgen Klinsmann. And let's see what we can do. Let's find that perfect blend of MLS talent, but have an influx of that true European talent that was rising. Because now it's not just Christian Pulisic, man. There's so much European talent talent strewn throughout the squad and that's what gets me really excited but to finish this little hype that I have for the U.S. there's an opportunity here man for the USA to do something special here and I don't mean that specifically in terms of making a deep run we'll get to that in the predictions I'm talking about the fact that it has been eight years since the U.S. public has seen an American international play at the World Cup and when you think about the average USA fan, they realistically don't know much about football. And again, that's not a shot at anybody. That's just how it is. Mm -hmm. People are going to be watching Fox. They're going to be watching ESPN. They're going to see ads. USA, England, Friday after Thanksgiving. And they'll be like, huh, World Cup. I remember this. Let me tune in. <laughs> Let me tune in. Yeah. I'm getting so many questions at work. They're like, oh, World Cup's in a month, right? I'm like, yep. yes, sir. I'm like, yep. yes, sir. Yep. You got to tune in. I'll tell you which that's games to watch. Right. And they're like, oh, who's good? Who's good? Like, no one really knows, but they will tune into these games because yeah, it's the World Cup, the biggest Turn, event on yeah, this planet. Yeah, I got you. I got Man, you. The USA have an incredible opportunity to surprise their own people. I truly don't think the majority of USA citizens actually know how good this team is. There is a chance for USA to take it to England, maybe even get a result. And people will be like, holy shit, this is our team? This is the type of quality that we have? Because, dude, when you compare 2014's team to the team we have now, it's completely yeah, it's different. different. mentality, different team, different identity. Identity. Everything. Literally everything. everything is different. A bro. completely different style of football. And what really gets me, it's an attractive one. As I've been trying to say this entire time, it is truly an attractive style of football. So now... People who were my age in 2010, when they see the USA play, maybe for the first time, they're gonna be like, wow, I actually enjoy the way that this team plays. And that gets me excited. As a Mexico fan, I'm always keeping tabs on my enemies, man. 
Always. I'm always keeping an eye open to see what's going on over there to make sure that Mexico stays on top. And this year and this past four years mm. have been the biggest realization of time and evolution. Mm. Times are changing, bro. Yeah. Times are changing over here in CONCACAF because something that's truly surprised me about both the U.S. and Canada, but for me, I want to focus on the U.S., is that I, there's this thing that I like to call the CONCACAF test, which is a test that 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 examines your grit, your ability to match up to your opponent, but in these really interesting atmospheres. People always talk about the South American atmospheres, how mm. intimidating they can be, how scary they, they can be, how hard it is to play in an elevation like Bolivia, for example. I think there's actually something like that in CONCACAF where there's a genuine challenge at hand when you go face off against these Central American teams, for example. We go face off against like El Salvador away from home. You got to play in a really fuck, fucked up weird stadium and shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you got these Latin American fans just screaming at you. For the most part, I feel like I've always seen the U.S. fall short in that sense. They only go into those stadiums looking for a tie, looking for just something to hopefully feel proud of, but never really trying to go for that victory. I mean, you mentioned it yourself, 2014, when they went out to Trinidad and Tobago. I mean, wh what kind of mentality is that? To go into that game not wanting to get a win or not even having yeah. the motivation to fight your ass off for it at the very least? That to me represents in a broader scope of what the U.S., at for me, at the very least, looked like for like a good decade, man. Yeah. But then the 2022 qualification cycle started. And I entered the tournament feeling high on myself, feeling good about Mexico, confident they could qualify again. And what did I see? I saw a U.S. team that finally, bro, is showing no fear. No yeah. fear. But not just that. Not just in the sense of mentality going into the game. I'm talking, they're not afraid to talk back to these players, bro. Yeah. They're not afraid to, to be barking at these Mexican players, at these Canadian players, at anyone else that they face. In yeah. El Salvador, in Jamaica, in Honduras. Mm -hmm. They are not afraid to just go one-to-one -one with these guys anymore. And that, to me, says a lot because we mentioned how USA really hangs their hat on grit. This team has more grit than I think I've ever seen from a U.S. squad, yep. man. It's actually pretty crazy. And the thing that best exemplifies that for me is when you look at specifically the USA versus Mexico games where there's always been a clear gap for the past not just one but two decades. This is the first time I've really seen the USA take it to Mexico and actually play better than them in both those games. I know one of them was a tie, but Jesus Christ, if Giorena makes that shot in yeah. the fucking box. Yeah. Thank God I didn't make that shot, bro. Because I would have been in therapy for my anger management issues right now. Bro. <laughs> I'd be fucking pissed. Yeah, yeah. But I will give credit when it's due, bro. USA has completely shifted themselves into a whole new team. And that is kind of like the, the silver lining and missing out on the World Cup for eight years yep. is that you get a chance to re-identify yourself. You get a chance to be a new person, man. They can show up to this World Cup being a completely new team. Yep. And it's funny because just, yeah, the, the main American contingent talks about this team the same way they did about 2014 and 2010, exactly. bro. Exactly. It's actually pretty crazy. Like just crazy. a normal everyday conversation. Yeah. And I'm just like, damn, man, y'all really don't know what's happening, and man. And just wait. Yeah. Just y'all yeah. wait. I hope, bro. I hope. Because if they end up coming short the way that some of those American teams did in the past, I fear that people will look at it and continue to look at it the same way. But if we're talking about potential to change that narrative, this is the most potential they've ever had. Let's look into the squad, man. And I want to actually start somewhere down the middle because Ooh. just this past week, I saw an incredible match between 
Liverpool and Leeds United. And I made ah. it, I had a huge, huge realization, man, watching this game where Leeds went to Anfield, beat Liverpool at home two to one. Yeah. Virgil van Dijk's first official Premier League loss at home <laughs> with Liverpool comes at the hands of this Leeds United team. Who's on that team? Well, we have two American players playing for them. You have uh, Brendan Aronson, but the standout for me, which is crazy saying this now, is Tyler Adams because yeah. when they made those transfers in the summer, they brought in both of these Americans. I remember like the, the general hype, the general attention was being given to Aronson, and rightfully so because he was so electric at RB Salzburg. He was such a fun player to watch, and this just felt like the perfect move for him. But I almost felt like it went a little bit under the radar that they managed to get Tyler Adams from Leipzig. And it's crazy because looking back at those transfers now, I actually feel like Tyler Adams has been the better purchase for them. Yeah. Aronson only really getting, I think, a couple goals, maybe an assist in like 11 games so far in the Premier League. Tyler Adams, though, bro, he was in the middle of that goddamn game in Anfield barking at Jordan Henderson. Man. Yeah. Barking. Not afraid to go up against any other player. And his ball retrieval is just getting better by the game, man. Mm -hmm. It's insane. He continues to progress from the level he was at at Leipzig. He's getting the starting nod from Jesse March every single time out for Leeds. Yeah. And I'm left just thinking, wow, like he has to be one of the most informed players for the USA right now. And what a guy to have informed because this is the guy that's at the center of the park, man. This is your guy that's gonna make sure that you're feeling safe the whole time out, that can give that distribution and those opportunities to the offensive options up front that can be so exciting. This is the guy that you wanna make sure is playing well. And who else? And Tyler Adams, bro. Tyler Adams, box to box midfielder in every sense of the word. And as he does for Leeds, he's going to act as the engine for this U.S. men's national team. He's going to dictate the pace and the gear at which the USA start, transform into, and end the game. It starts and ends with Tyler Adams in the center of that midfield. But like you said, one thing that I've always, always praised Adams for is his ball retrieval, his ability to truly never give up and to use his physicality and his athleticism to his true advantage because, dude, he never gets tired. He no. does not get tired of running. And to have something like that for 90 straight minutes, man, that's, that truly is special. You really think about it, not a lot of box-to-box -box midfielders actually have the same engine that Adams has, man. Realistically, it, it is pretty crazy. But what has really impressed me about him is actually his technique. His ability on the ball, and I saw it last year with Leipzig, it finally has improved to essentially a European level. To the point where not only can he get the ball, but he can distribute it. His passing decisions are truly smart, and his IQ is at a level of what I would consider to be an elite European. It's exactly what I would want for any CONCACAF midfielder to reach. That type of European level is exactly what I would want. And so Adams has fully fulfilled that and achieved that in my mind, and the U.S. men's national team have that as their central midfielder. Dude, I, I feel like he's one of the players that's like no question. He's starting. Oh, yeah. Like, there's literally no one else behind him that could get this position over him. He is one no. of the most surefire starters for this team. No. And if you're Greg Berhalter, like, you're at the very least super content that you have a Tyler Adams in yeah. your team. Looking out wide, though, at who's going to be joining him, I think you also have some really interesting options. Let me throw out some names at you. You mm -hmm. have 
for me, the favorite to start is Weston McKinney yeah. on his left side and then Yunus Musa on the right side. Yeah. Some potential nominees could be De La Torre, who's gotten a few minutes here and there. And the more experienced, Kellen Acosta as well, who's also kind of shifted in for these guys when one of these guys has been missing, whether yeah. it's through injury or whatnot. He seems to be like the, the mature, older guy in this midfield that can come through and provide solidity no matter what. All in all, I think it sets up for a really exciting and fruitful midfield because Yunus Musa is playing his trade at Valencia right now at a really, really notable club in Spain. And McKinney's playing fucking yeah. week in, week out at Juventus, man. Yeah, yeah. So this is crazy for me to say about a CONCACAF team, but more specifically about the USA, man. We have yeah. three guys here who are playing in the top two, three leagues yeah. of Europe. Crazy, man. Crazy. And just as you said that Adams is essentially a surefire starter and he's irreplaceable, I'm actually going to go ahead and say the exact same things about both Yunus Musa and Weston McKinney. I know you mentioned players, for example, like Kellen Acosta, who is a big winner. And as you said, when he does start for the U.S. men, he does well. He does very, very well. But the ability, the sheer ball-playing ability of both McKinney and Musa, for me, is second to none when you look outside of these three midfielders that we named. Musa, for me, wild card. His ability to just penetrate from a central position is something I don't think the USA has ever had, bro. He's dynamic, but he's crafty, man, truly crafty. But again, let's say Tyler Adams just goes up on one of his runs because, you know, that he's going to do that. Yeah. Musa can be smart enough to just occupy that position, but he's also incredibly athletic. There's two engines in this midfield. I think Musa is just a little bit more offensive minded, which is perfect because you can have McKinney and Adams kind of hold that midfield while Musa roams a little bit. He's going to go out wide. He's going to try to penetrate from different angles. And he has the ball playing ability to actually do that. And then we go to the other side, Weston McKinney, man. I remember especially earlier this year yeah, specifically, was out, there was a couple of games where I was just like, Damn, mm -hmm. I hate it when you get a take out before me. And I, I was like, I was going to get that take in. <laughs> Damn, man. But you're, you're right. Yeah, he's, there's he's like playing really well earlier this year, man. A couple of games where he was truly, truly dominating the midfield. No matter what other midfielder tried to get a, just a little touch on him, he was like butter, dude. He was just, <laughs> he'd, he'd roll past him. Yeah, yeah. And then he'd just lay off the ball like it was nothing. And as you said, it is crazy because the USA have three top quality European talents, essentially, as their starting midfield. Crazy, crazy. And I actually want to make a point of something that I've noticed with the US team and the players that they have. And this might correlate to their confidence is that these guys kind of have a, a swagger to him. Musa, bro? Dude. This guy's dope. He's awesome. This guy's dope. Yeah. It makes sense that he's, you know, in Spain, yes. you know, hanging out around these all fashionable people and shit. <laughs> like, and then you look at Tyler Adams too, the way he carries himself on the pitch. So bro, confident. He's a big dog. He's confident. Yeah. He, like, he, he knows who he is out there. He knows that it, there's no one that can talk down to him, nah. bro. And I love how he carries himself. McKinney too, man, he's got a little bit of style to him. There's this kind of arrogance, but like a confidence that I'm seeing that these US players are having, bro. Have you ever seen Timothy Weah's Instagram, bro? No. He has one of the dopest, like, feeds, man. Really? The way he edits his pictures, the way he, like, Shit. poses in them. I'm like, God damn, bro. These, these U.S. men's national team players are now starting to carry themselves the same way that NBA players do. Uh, the same way that NFL players do. Yeah. And for, for such a long time, I always saw it as a complete 
and different type of gap between the U.S. soccer men's guys and the NBA. You yeah. know, you have Michael Bradley versus like LeBron. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, stylistically, who's going to get the edge there? Like, you know, <laughs> but I think it actually correlates to like the confidence and grit that this team has, man. Like these yeah. guys, they're fearless, bro. Fearless. And this midfield is exactly that. Kind of the same theme with the midfield of knowing who's going to start. I think you can honestly say the same thing about this defense. So maybe one position where I, at the very least, am a little curious who's going to get yeah. the starting yeah, nod. Yeah. Matt Turner will start for the USA. Okay. Despite having options like uh, Zach Steffen, mm -hmm. Ethan Horvath, or uh, Sean Johnson, I think Matt Turner starts. I mean, I've seen this guy start some really feisty games and be an actual character and player and the outcome of those games, man. I think he's going to get the start. Looking up at the center back position, he'll have one player that is an MLS all-star and one of the MLS best 11s, Walker Zimmerman, who had an incredible season this past year in the, in the MLS, playing so well, and also on the national team. Man, yeah. this dude has completely stepped up. And I know this because I root against the USA, man. Mm -hmm. And every time that we would try to create an attack or we would try to get past this guy, or we would have a corner kick or a set piece, a play that had hope at the foundation of it, Walker Zimmerman was right there waiting for it, looking like Thor to just ruin my excitement, man. Yeah, yeah. Every single time. And I'm like, what the fuck? Who is this guy, bro? <laughs> this dude looks like a like a Game of Thrones character, man. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's equally as fearless as the midfield players. Yeah. To me, Walker Zimmerman will be the leader of this back line. Joining Zimmerman will be interesting because we have an injury. We yeah, have this an injury with Miles Robinson. Yeah. And so will it be... Uh, Carter Vickers from Celtics starting alongside him. Will it be Aaron Long starting alongside him? Will it be Chris Richards? Who will it be? And we'll talk about that in a second. Let me continue filling out this back line. Left back position, I think it's none other than Star Wars' very own Jedi <laughs> Robinson. Yeah. <laughs> starting over there, Anthony Robinson to be more specific. And then on the right side, there's, there's some options, man. You could go with Serginho Dest. You can go with DeAndre Yedlin, mm -hmm. or you can go with Reggie Cannon, man. Yeah. And so make your pick. I want to start in goal with the goalkeeper because this position has been so intriguing to watch over the last couple of years due to the vacancy that was opened up in 2018. After 2018, Tim Howard said, I'm done, no more. Actually, it might have been even been earlier than that because I know Brad Guzan started playing a lot too. But even after 2018, once they decided, all right, we're going to try to get rid of the old guard, anyone who was playing and it's over 30, you're probably not going to get called up. So there was a wide open spot right there at the number one position for the USA. And the question was, who was going to take it? Because there wasn't really an apparent heir to that position. It's not like there was a young up-and-coming keeper that was like, yeah, as soon as Howard's gone, it's me. I'm yeah, going to be yeah, the one. Yeah, yeah. There really wasn't that apparent heir. And it kind of was Zach Steffen. It kind of was because he really shone in the MLS when he started as a very young goalkeeper. And it was immediately known that he was very dominant in the box and was an excellent shot stopper. So much so that he got a contract with Manchester City. No ordinary goalkeeper is going to get a contract like that. So he goes off to Europe and we're like, okay, well, maybe Steffen's going to be it. It's going to be Zach Steffen couple of injuries during World Cup qualification, suddenly Stefan's not available. So who do we call up? We call up Maddie Turner, another MLS goalkeeper who literally just a year ago was starting to pop off. 
especially with his shot-stopping ability, man. Incredible reaction time Turner has. And he comes on, starts for the U.S. men's national team in these big World Cup games, and looks dominant. Low-key, maybe even a little bit better than Stefan, some people say. And so the question immediately began, who are we starting, bro? Are we going, we going Stefan? We going Turner? Who, who are we going with here? And at the end of the day, I think, I think it is going to be Matt Turner, as you rightly put in your preface. I think it's going to be Turner simply because Zach Stefan, I think, is a little bit more mistake prone. There are times oh, when I've seen Stefan maybe come out way too early or come out when he's just not supposed to, and he's just supposed to stay back, let his defense take care of it. There are times when I see Stefan just make a wrong decision on a corner kick or make a wrong decision on the cross, and suddenly he's left exposed and begging his center backs to bail him out. I actually have not really seen Matt Turner make a big mistake. I just actually haven't seen it. Now, I will say this. Zach Steffen has maybe played a little bit more, especially this season, but he is playing in the championship, right? He got that low move to Middlesbrough to get playing time, but it, it still hasn't fully convinced me because he has good games and then he has some weird games. Whereas Turner, who's really, I think, only playing in the Europa League or at least in other cup games for Arsenal because he did get that big move over the summer, but he looks good. He looks completely fine. He looks a little bit more assured, at least from a reliability standpoint, than Zach Steffen. And I think Burhalter sees that. And I think there's a, a actual grit factor to Matt Turner too, man. Yeah. He's a little bit, he has a lot more leadership at the back. I mean, you don't want a goalkeeper that's quiet, bro. Yeah. And I feel like Zach Steffen, I don't really see him back there commanding mm. his backline the same way that I do with Matt Turner, especially the way I saw Matt Turner perform in those CONCACAF games. I mean... Dude, this guy was annoying, man. Yeah, <laughs> he was yeah. annoying to me. It's tough to get past this guy. It really is. But I think that kind of summarizes the talent and ability that Matt Turner has on the national level. And he might be one of those players that kind of like the Guillermo Cho effect where once he puts on the jersey, bro, he just plays way better yeah. and performs at his absolute height. It's just crazy to think about because there's no other position out on the pitch like the goalkeeping position, man. Because there's only one goalkeeper. So the psychological battle that Stefan and Turner must have had, even though they were teammates, I, I, I don't think I can fathom that. Yeah. I think Turner is the right decision. Moving up to this back line, as you said, I'm gonna start with Zimmerman as you did. He is the leader of this back line. And it's crazy because I remember after 2018, I was like, who is gonna be our center back? At a certain point in time, I thought it was gonna be John Brooks, the German-based yeah. defender. And I was like, oh, this is our guy. He's been playing in Europe his entire career. He's big, he's smart, he plays at an elite level. He's going to be our guy. But then he had that weird US spell, man. That weird spell where he just didn't look like he gave a fuck yeah, out there. Bro. And yeah. he's just like letting players past him, making terrible decisions. And I think that was the last we saw him, honestly. Dude, I haven't seen him in forever, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Forever. Which is crazy because if he, I think if he wanted to, he could have been like the captain of this side. But something happened. Yeah, a European bug got to him. Or yeah, maybe, like, where he's just like, I don't want to go to America no more. I just want to stay. I don't know what it is, right? And I wonder, maybe it's like beef with Burhalter, possibly. Like, yeah, so much stuff gets closed behind doors in soccer, man. Like, we rarely hear, like, the actual truth when it comes to, like, beef between players or coaches, oh, yeah. man. Yeah, yeah. It's always so surface level. So we'll never know, unless we have him on the pod. But <laughs> <laughs> but I, I really do wonder what happened, because he was a really good defender on his day. But yeah, he's, he's absolutely gone. But Walker Zimmerman has absolutely stepped up to be that leader. And 
honestly way better than Brooks ever played oh, for the yeah, U.S. Way, way better. better. So uh, in a way, it's actually great that Brooks said no more USA because Walker Zimmerman, ex-FC Dallas player, now applying his trade in Nashville, is going to be our star center back at this World Cup. And alongside him, it does get really interesting because... It was supposed to be Miles Robinson, another MLS-based player, because he was he was the go-to. It was those two guys. Burhalter said, it's Zimmerman, Robinson, nobody else. And then, unfortunately, Robinson gets that disastrous ACL injury or whatever it was that puts him out for like 12 months, yeah. and he's just set to miss the World Cup. It is what it is. It's life. Luckily, he's young, so there's still a comeback story for Robinson to be had. It leaves Burhalter in a bit of a pickle. He's got a big decision to make recently, He's actually been going with Aaron Long, the New York Red Bull center back as the partner for Walker Zimmerman. And honestly, when I really think about it, I think it's the right decision because when I look at the backup center backs, I just don't know if I'm fully convinced. Cameron Carter-Vickers plays every game for Celtic, but he hasn't played a lot for the U.S. men's. So I think there's a bit of inexperience with the U.S. midfield, the U.S. backline. Sure, he does play in Europe, but... He's only been called, he's been called less than 10 times mm. for the US. And I think right before World Cup, it's a little too late to experiment him in a starting position. And I'm gonna say the same exact thing about Chris Richards. Again, a guy playing, you know, in and out of this Crystal Palace side, obviously earlier playing with Bayern Munich in the same way, kind of in a reserve role. But again, less than 10 caps for the US, I think it's too late for him to make an impact right before the World Cup. So for all those reasons, I think it's left for 30-year-old experienced Aaron Long to just yeah. be that partner for Walker Zimmerman. And we're left with what's crazy in my mind, an MLS-based center back pairing. Which is pretty crazy, bro. That's crazy. I also think that outsiders will look at it and be like, oh, the USA has two starting MLS center backs. Yeah. They're, they're done for. They're done for. And I, <laughs> Maybe that would have been true 10 years ago. Maybe. Man. But I think that now it's actually, it's it's not that bad. Like, nah. it's not a bad thing. It's the same thing as if I saw that Mexico had two Liga MX center backs. I think it's on that level. I think so. I'm just like, okay, like, there could be some level of surprise here. We don't know for sure. But at the very least, they're not going to get ran over. Nah. And so I do think that it'll be so interesting to see a modern pairing of two MLS players, one of them being the best center back in the MLS and Walker yeah. Zimmerman. Going out wide, very similar to Walker Zimmerman, I only see two starting fullbacks under Burhalter. On the right, I'm gonna start with Serginho Dest. You think so? I think he's going to be Burhalter's go-to. If he's healthy, he's always has a little knock here and there, but if he is healthy, he's going to be the starting right back. It is funny though, man, because this guy's like a mercenary. He's barely American. Barely, bro. Okay. I don't even know if he. I don't even know he can truly speak English, man. <laughs> it's like getting a select player in a youth team. Like yeah. it, it, it's crazy that we got him, and it's exactly why Burhalter has chosen him because he's just like, oh, we get a European player. Yeah, he's oh, sure. Bring him, bring him to the U.S. He'll start for me for sure, and that is exactly what happened. Ajax Academy product went to Barcelona, is now with AC Milan, has an incredible resume, and is in that rotation for Milan. Starts one game, benches the other, starts the next game, benches the other. So he's absolutely in that rotation and has shown that he has the pedigree and the skill to play at the highest level. And when we look who his replacements could be, DeAndre Yenlin, Renji Cannon, I, I'm, I'm left wanting a little bit more. Even 19-year-old Joe Scali. Joe Scali playing at Munchen Gladbach is good, but if you compare him to Dest, 
Des is just a little bit more technical. He has a little bit more ability on the ball. I think he's a better, tighter passer. And he also has the ability to score from outside the box or send in a whipping cross. And when you need something special in a short tournament like the World Cup, I think you go with Des all day long. Go to the other side, and I'm going to say the same thing. We have another dynamic fullback in Anthony Robinson, bro. The best left back in the championship last year for Fulham gets promoted to the Premier League and bro he looks like he's been playing in the Premier League for five years man he he's absolutely Premier League quality starts every single game for Fulham and has been a big reason why this Fulham back line has been successful he gets so forward and that's what I love about Robinson bro is that he's so offensive minded yeah, yeah. and it goes back to what I was initially saying about this USA squad man is that every player is an absolute baller Robinson is the perfect example for that because when he gets the ball he's gone bro he's absolutely gone and again he has that experience of defending against premier league talent so for me that's my back line right there that's exciting Uh, that really is when you think about it contextually within the history of the usa yes but when you think about it within the context of the world cup brother Mm. you don't get a little concerned you don't get a little concerned a little bro you got a goalkeeper that doesn't even play right you got two center backs one of them which is basically filling in for for an injured player. You have Dest, yes, who is very good, as you mentioned, but I personally have questioned his decision-making. I've seen some low points for Dest. There's a reason Barcelona got rid of him. Yeah. He wasn't Barca quality, but he still was good enough to be AC Milan. And then you have like, oh. Anthony Robinson, who I think is one of the standouts, but you know, you're going to face off against an English side that yeah. has nothing but top three, five-team Premier League talents at the back. You're going to face off against a Wales side that can also say the same thing pretty much because they actually have a lot of players playing in the Premier League. Iran, very good defensively. You don't get a little concerned? I think I would if it wasn't for the context that the USA has a completely new squad and that they've missed the World Cup for the last eight years. The way that I see this USA team and their backline and midfield is honestly very similar to how I saw Mexico in 2010 and 2014 in the sense that this USA team doesn't actually know how good they are. They don't know if they're European level or they don't know if they're how to be respectful here. <laughs> <laughs> European level or if they're... Argentina level. <laughs> hey, watch your fucking mouth. They don't know if they're truly European level type of team or if they're just an average CONCACAF yes, team. Yes. They don't know because this is an entirely new squad. None of them have played in a World Cup. And due to like Nations League, for example, we barely get any friendlies with South American or European teams. So this is completely new territory for the USA. And as you said before, they're also fearless. And for those reasons, I actually don't think they're going to be nervous. I don't think it's going to get to them because they simply don't know. It's almost like blissful ignorance. They just simply don't know. And I think that's actually going to go towards their advantage. And Talking about defensive standpoint, sure, maybe I'd be a little bit worried if it was just that back line, but I know Adams is going to provide a lot of coverage defensively, bro. And not only that, McKinney and Musa have the ball-playing ability to provide relief when they have possession. They'll be able to take tight defenses, maybe even turn them and then release to Christian Pulisic. And that's something that can really give relief to that back line. That's a good point with how European everyone else is in the midfield and in the 
forward positions, right. you shouldn't, yeah, you actually make a great point. It, it's going to kind of like be infectious to these other guys. Yeah. I mean, Weston McKinney might show up to the locker room with a bottle of wine saying, you know, this is what we're <laughs> drinking over there in Italy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. try the, this. And Zerman's like, shit, man, we don't have this shit in Nashville. <laughs> Fuck. As you said, it kind of infects the rest of the team. And if there's one place where you don't need that highly totted European quality, I would say it's the defense, yeah. honestly, because if it's the offense and there's nothing there and you can't provide, you can't do anything. Yeah. If it's in the midfield, then you're fucked. Oh, bro. you can't control a but game. But defense, <laughs> if it's good North American quality, if yeah. it's a good version of it, it can be good enough. I think so. A good point, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Let's have some fun, bro. Let's go up top, man. I mentioned how there's so much swagger in these in this US team, man. Yeah. This this forward offense is just filled with it, man. Yeah. Filled with it. We got ballers. Yeah. Ballers and one of the greatest, I think you've said before, the greatest. I'm gonna say one of the greatest. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tread carefully. <laughs> Players in US American history, Christian Pulisic. Mm. You have uh Wea, who plays at Lil right now. You have Ricardo Pepe. You have Jesus Ferreira. You have Brendan Aronson. You have Giovanni Reina, bro. Yeah. That's actually crazy. That's actually crazy that all these guys are like under 25 years old and they're all, for the most part, in Europe outside of like Ferreira. But even then, you got Ferreira balling out in the MLS. Yeah. This is an insane front line that the U.S. has. I'm truly surprised because I've just never really seen anything like it. In the past, we've seen the U.S., Solely rely on one guy, man. We they relied True. so heavily on Jose Altador yes, for a while to yes. just use his body, use that physical force of his to generate some sort of offensive opportunities. Clint Dempsey, of, of course, we saw everything he did for the national team, and we appreciate him for it. But Jesus <laughs> Christ, what a responsibility they give him! Yeah. Even putting offensive responsibility duties on like midfielders, like. Michael Bradley or Landon Donovan. Should I even mention Jordan Morris and what they try to do with him, bro? <laughs> yeah, Good Lord. Yeah. That two-year period where Jordan Morris was the go-to guy yeah. for U.S. offense? Yeah. Dreadful, bro. Dreadful. <laughs> that guy was awful during that tenure. Yeah. But now, man, you got six options minimum of pure quality. Yeah. Guys that have pace, that have talent that have skill on the ball, that can be creative. I mean, I can use all the adjectives in the world. These guys are really, really good, and I really hope that people don't underestimate them because offensively, I think they can match up with most other nations. One surefire starter is going to be Christian Pulisic. Absolutely. For sure. you got to have him out. You, you have to have him out on the field to make sure that you can be successful at this tournament. He's probably the most experienced U.S. player at this point now, given that he was part of that 2018 squad and still remained here after all that time. But then it gets interesting in the other positions. And this is where I want to go to you because I actually don't know who's going to get those other starting nods. You have a really good argument between Jesus Ferreira and Ricardo Pepe. Pepe was incredible during World Cup qualification, but then completely disappeared, basically, bro. Completely disappeared. From the point that he was at Augsburg and then had to get a move to Groningen to just find Play. some sort of shining light. Man. Yeah. Jesus Ferreira, in the meantime, is scoring, I think, 20-plus goals in, the, oh, yeah, in, the, a lot. in MLS. Yeah. Do you value the MLS guy more than the European guy? On the other side, you also have Giovanni Reina, who's gone through so many injury troubles, but when he does get the opportunity to play, man, I know this as a Mexico fan that saw Gio Reina go past five players at the Estadio Azteca. <laughs> that was crazy. <laughs> that was crazy. That was crazy play. That was crazy, bro. Yeah. Like... He has something in him, yeah. right? So I'm just like, okay, like that's <laughs> that's worth noting. <laughs> or do you go with a guy like Brendan Aronson, who, when he's on it, can be one of the most effective players for this U.S. national team, man. 
I got questions, man, and I need answers. Yeah, so I want to start in that number nine position because this one, very much like the goalkeeping position, has been wide open for the last four years. And Burhalter has just basically said, if you want to come play for the U.S., <laughs> I'll start you at number nine. If you play good... Open tryouts. It's open tryouts. Yeah. If you play good, you're starting the next game. That is essentially yeah, what is. has happened. There's been so many number nines that have been churned out over these last four years. But I do think the one he's going to go with is the one who's most in form. And that is FC Dallas, Jesus Ferreira simply because of that. And I'll talk about the guys who are right behind him. I'll, I'll talk about Ricardo Pepe, who's actually, I think he's got like five goals and seven appearances he's, for Groningen. He's finally starting to score. He's finally starting to score again. Only problem is, is that it is in basically a league where defense doesn't exist in the Eredivisie. So obviously he's going to get a lot more goals. If he wasn't getting goals at Groningen, then he needs, yeah, to, he needs yeah. to get out of Europe. Yeah. It, it, would be, it would be like that. But for me... Pepe has had such a drought, if you just don't include those Groningen games for club and country, that I just think Berhalter, it's easy for him to be like, oh, I'm just going to go with Ferreira, man. He starts every single game for FC Dallas. He had the best season of his career. He's still incredibly young, but he's also putting the ball in the back of the net. The only problem that I have with Ferreira, and I do think it's actually the U.S. men's national team weakest position is this number nine. And it's because I think Ferreira is a little limited. When he plays a defense that he cannot figure out, he doesn't figure it out. No. He doesn't adapt. Ferreira's fairly one-dimensional. He's good off the ball. He's very dynamic and he makes very good runs. But if he plays against a defense that completely nullifies his athleticism, completely nullifies his ability to get in space, it's like Ferreira's not even on the pitch. It's, that, that's the problem with Ferreira. But it gets interesting because let's say Ferreira does start. I actually see a lot of rotation happening because if it's nil-nil or the U.S. are down, Berhalter is going to make a change. Ferreira has the starting job, but not definitively. It'll be to the point where he's going to try Pepe at a, at a certain point or he's going to try whatever striker he brings on. Josh Sargent is playing oh, yeah. really yeah. well for Norwich right Another now. One. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So... But again, I, I do think a lot of the number nines for the U.S. are a bit limited. And I'll, I'll, again, Pepe, is, he, he can be good, but dude, I, I really do question his form right now. I just don't think it's there. But what really gets me, bro, is that if Berhalter brings Pepe to come onto the bench for the U.S. at this World Cup, why wouldn't you bring PFOC? And this is what I'm going to be very curious about, bro. This is what I'm going to be very curious about because... Obviously, PFOC did not get chosen to represent the USA in the last international window in September. He starts every single game for first place Union Berlin in the Bundesliga. And there might be a chance that he doesn't even get called up, bro. You've mentioned it before where there's beef with U.S. coach and U.S. striker. Mm -hmm. This mm -hmm. might be another one of those situations, man. You because think Greg's like that, though? I, th I, I think for there's a real? chance, bro. And I, Well, no. The U.S. men's are going to do a whole unveiling on ESPN like in a week. And they're going to go through every single player that's getting selected. Wow. So they're going to like, it's going to be like an unveiling party or some <laughs> shit. Yeah, it's yeah. going to be pretty cool. And I'm going to be specifically looking if PFOC gets chosen, yeah. man. Because if he doesn't, it's a mistake. We saw, bef so. we saw before with Jurgen Klinsmann making a mistake, in my opinion, to not even bring Landon Donovan for his experience. In this case, it's a little bit different in the sense that I think Burhalter just might not bring PFOC simply because maybe he just doesn't like him. Maybe he doesn't like the way he plays. But the result and the output that he's giving and providing week in, week out with Union Berlin, for me, it's too much to ignore. Even if you don't start him, if you bring Pepe, 
then you have to bring PFOC. Yeah, yeah. You have yeah. to. So I'm so curious to see because if PFOC's not on that list, I'm going to criticize the fuck out of Burhalter. Only thing I want to say about the Ferreira Pepe matchup is that I really think actually Pepe would thrive in a off the bench role. Yeah, I think that no, actually yeah. would be best for him because yeah. that's kind of what he did uh, to start in the Concacaf qualifiers when he first started getting his rise was he was coming off the bench and then that's true. Greg was like, "Oh shit! Like this kid's actually." He's on form right now. Yeah. So start him a few games. But yeah. I think put Ferreira in to start, perhaps PFOG. And then from there, go go on to Pepe to, to come off the bench. Yeah. And in a similar theme, when we look out wide, I think regardless of who starts, the backup wingers are going to get playing time at this World Cup. So let's start on the non-Christian Pulisic side. I actually do think Brendan Aronson is going to start simply because I think he's had the best more recent form for the U.S. specifically. And I think that means a lot to Burhalter. He's been able to rely on Aronson in every single game. Even if, like you said, he's not outputting a lot for Leeds, but he plays every game. He starts every single game for Leeds United in the Premier League, the best league in the world right now, as far as quality is concerned. And I think Burhalter likes that. And obviously, when Aronson does play for the U.S., man, he's energetic, constantly penetrating, constantly looking for space, looking at the opponent's weaknesses, cutting inside, doing as much as he can to create chaos out on that wing. And... I think from a technical perspective, Gio Reyna's probably better, but Reyna's in rotation at Dortmund right now. And like you said, bro, he is just injury ridden, bro. And they're never long injuries, but he just always has a knock. So he's never able to get consistent weekly form the way that Brendan Aronson is. And for that reason, I think Brendan Aronson is going to start, but Rain is going to get called up and he is going to play. Yeah. And he's going to play big minutes too. So that, that's incredible to have something like that off the bench. And even if Reyna does start maybe later on the tournament, you bring in a guy like Aronson in the 60th minute with his energy, that's huge for the U.S. out on that wing. And then you still have a guy like Timothy Weah to also yep. come off yep. the bench. Another player I'll mention, another FC Dallas player, Paul Ariola. Again, he's had incredible minutes for the U.S. men's national team, just like Brendan Aronson. And I actually do see him getting minutes at this World Cup, bro. There's going to be so much rotation, I think, out in these wing positions. Or maybe when we really need a goal, we take out a midfielder, put in another winger, bro. It's going to get like that because we have so much talent going forward. And Burhalter likes to rotate a lot of these guys in and out. But I do think Aronson will get the start. Going on to the other side, as you said, this is going to be basically like the Harry Kane effect. Pulisic is playing every single minute at this World oh, Cup. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> every Absolutely. single minute. Absolutely. I'll go a step further and say that he is the most gifted U.S. player ever in the history Whoa. of U.S. football. Whoa. He's better than Dempsey. He's better than Landon Donovan. He's better than any other guy who's ever played in the U.S. team. And I knew that by the time he was 18, bro. You can just tell the way he touches the ball, the way that he dribbles. He's so much more elite than any other U.S. player I've ever seen. Now, we're finally get to see players try to actually get close to a level, like Reyna, like Aronson, or like Adams in a different role from a midfield position. But from the get-go, at 17 years of age, you could see the true class that Christian Pulisic has possessed. And honestly, I know his career has taken an interesting turn simply because he's just in rotation at Chelsea. But for me, man, he's playing with one of the biggest clubs on the planet, and he actually does play. He may not start every game, but he is actively in that squad. He starts probably 50% of the games, and when he's not starting, he's coming off the bench, bro. Obviously, he had that incredible Champions League run with him, lifting the title. Dude, 
Pulisic won a Champions League title, bro. That's that's so respective. That that's incredible. I have nothing but praise for this guy, regardless of what people say about his situation at Chelsea. I'm actually glad he stayed at Chelsea because I know there's rumors of him wanting to leave so he could play every game, but the competition he has in training must be incredible. And for him to be good enough to have the coach play him pretty much every week, dude, that says so much. I have zero allegiances to the US, so that comment means, you know, nothing to sure. me, but I would love to know the viewers, do you think Christian Pulisic is the most gifted American in the history of the country? Really would love to see the comments fill yeah. up and see what people think because it's a really interesting topic. I think there's a fair argument. I really do. I do think so. I mean, because when you look at some of the stuff that, for example, Clint Dempsey achieved, he only really realistically played like, what, one season at Tottenham? He was very successful at Fulham, but you know he never really played in the Champions League. And when you look at players like Landon Donovan, Barely had a European career. He had played some seasons casually, like in the Bundesliga, but never it never really popped off for him. And realistically, Michael Bradley played in Italy, played with Roma for like a season or two, was very good, but then he just came to the MLS, and that's where he really stayed for the most of his prime and the rest of his career. Josie Altador tried Europe, but it just mm. never worked out. Pulisic won the Champions League and was a big part of that run. Claudio Reyna, Gio's dad. Yeah, he yeah. He played for Man City. He played in, he was actually in a bunch, like seven different European teams, I think, at one point. Absolutely. And that's why I'll say he may not be the most decorated player in the U.S. men's national team shirt, but he's the most gifted. Mm. I think if I saw, if I've never seen Claudio Reyna play, but if I saw Pulisic highlights and Claudio Reyna highlights, <laughs> I think I'd say Christian Pulisic is a lot more talented. If I saw Gio Reyna highlights, man, I think that kid would be better than his father, bro. His highlight was crazy, bro. Dude, Gio, Gio, he was so talented. He was great. In, the, in the small portion that he actually plays, he's I just wish nuts. He more. Yeah. He's nuts, but it, he might be the most gifted player. Bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah, possibly. Just, not, just too injury prone. Aronson, Ferreira, Pulisic mm. to round out the starting lineup, but with so many different options. Yes. And while you were going on that tangent, just the options at hand, I'm just thinking, bro, Americans don't know. Like they don't even know they have no half of these players. And they don't even know that no. we don't have, they don't even know that we have these options. No. That's crazy, man. That, that's actually really depressing. It, no, it's, it's <laughs> so depressing. Really, really depressing, man, because yeah. I don't know, man. You, you compare it to the excitement that these NBA teams get, that the NFL ah. teams get, even when they're trash. But the U.S. team actually does have some depth here, especially yeah. up front, that it should be exciting you. People should be on, out on the streets screaming, Josh Sargent <laughs> is playing like a god at yeah. Norwich right now. It yeah, yeah. common, man, but... Yeah. None of that exists for us, man. I go outside and I see nothing but college gear. I see nothing but NBA jerseys. <sighs> yeah. And it is what it is. Those it are is what it sports, is. Sports, but man, you just wish. I just wish we had the same support here as those Europeans do, man. Mm. Regardless of the cultural impact that this team is having right now, or the fact that Americans aren't aware, I don't think that matters, man. Because so true. Ultimately, that's that's outside from what's going to happen at the World Cup. Absolutely, these boys are going to be in a different continent, <laughs> away from the criticisms and comments of Americans. Yeah, and they'll be able to actually focus on their game 100%, looking to make a new name for not just themselves but for their country, and looking to make a statement to the world, man. Yeah. Because if this team can surprise the way that I sense that you're predicting they might, mm -hmm. it would make for something incredible for, for the idea people would have of the American squad <laughs> going forward. Yeah. Because 2026 will be right around the corner. And if we look at the ages of these players, a lot of these guys will be reaching their peak and their prime come that World Cup. So this could really be a moment for these American players to look at themselves and be like, we have an opportunity here, man. We can do so much 
with so little, man. Mm-hmm. Three games. <laughs> three games where we are just asked to play our absolute best. We know we have the talent, guys. I feel like I'm in the locker room right now. <laughs> we know we have the talent. So let's go out and show it, man. Yeah. Let's prove these people wrong. That's all it takes, man. At the end of the day, it's football. It's soccer. It's an equal game when it starts. It doesn't matter the quality of the opposition. We have enough to take it to them. England, man, that... That game is going to be incredible. Oh that game God. is going to be in fucking incredible because that's going to attract the most people that are outside viewers because of the whole little brother, little brother relationship. Yeah. The idea that we Americans have of England. So many storylines, so much to look for here. Imagine, bro. Imagine how people would react if we beat them. Yeah. Imagine, bro. That'd be, oh man, that'd be insane. I can't wait. But likewise, you know, getting an important victory over Wales would also be a big statement. Getting a victory over Iran, that's also. Those are going to be the bigger games in <laughs> my gonna opinion. It's going to be the bigger ones. Yeah. Be the-, the opportunity is there, and the question is do I think they will take it? I have the USA making it out. I unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> my man, USA you live here. Making it out. <laughs> it's, a, it's a saddening thing. But I do. USA has a similar Mexico-like effect when it comes to the World Cup. They show up. Dude, you yeah. see the best version of the U.S. at the World Cup. So true. It's weird. It's weird how they do that. And I think they'll do it this time. I think they're going to just ride that momentum. I think they're going to have this resilience to themselves. And in my lifetime, I haven't seen a U.S. team fail at a World Cup. So I'm just, I just don't know what that would look like, you know? To see them true. like just get knocked out of the group and not make it. Like I don't know what that looks like. I can't envision it. Neither can I. I have the USA getting second place in Group B, being matched up with Netherlands in the round of 16 going forward. And that's where I have them getting knocked out. Hmm. Round of 16 exit once again for this US national team, but it'll be a different type of round of 16 exit, man. The way that they will perform in the group, I think it's going to be ultimately a really good and positive statement for the USA. I see it being a really good tournament for them. And if they can somehow manage to get past that run of 16 opponent, then from then on, it's, it's magic, man. It's magic. They're capable of doing whatever they like because beating a team like Netherlands or even like a Senegal or Ecuador, if, that, if that's who it ends up being, will be so impressive. The most talented U.S. team I've seen in my lifetime, all I am is just excited to see how it pans out. So you know how hyped I am for this team, obviously. I, I, yeah. I did a whole speech at the very beginning yeah. on why I'm so excited about this team specifically here in 2022. But I do want to talk about a couple of negatives. First off, squad-wise, this team is inexperienced just from the get-go. Out of the starting 11 that I chose, none of them have ever played at a World Cup. That's crazy. That's insane. That's crazy. There's no, literally no one that they can rely on. Greg Burhalter, last coached in the MLS. Now he's going to be coaching against England, <laughs> potentially the Netherlands if they do make it out, like you said. That's, in, that's insane. That actually is a concern for me, man. Not only that, but this team is incredibly young, bro. Incredibly young. Probably, if they feel the 11 that we think they will, might be one of the youngest squads at the World Cup. That's us. That's the USA right there. That's how we're being represented, right? And that for me is a little concerning because the second negative thing that does actually make me a little bit scared as to whether they can get out of this group is, dude, this group is truly difficult. When you look at who they played in 2010, they played against a weak-ass Algeria side and an England side that just wasn't it. Of course you can get out of that group. 2014, they played against a shitty Ghana side and a Portugal side that literally decided not to show up. Of course you're gonna get out of that group. But now, they have to play against an incredibly determined, and as we said, 
very talented Iran side. That's one of the teams they have to play against. They have to play against a top five side in the world in England. And then to top that all off, they don't get a break by facing wildcard Wales. That is an incredibly tough group. That's insane. And that's what this inexperienced USA team has to face here in 2022. We have the quality, but so do the other opponents, oh, man. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'm sitting here now and actually don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. I'm being completely honest. Mind if I throw in another negative, man? Please. I think they're going to be entering this tournament slightly low on themselves, man. That Japan game was awful. Oh, they got ran. That Japan game was awful. It's actually, they're like the opposite Denmark, where at club level, they're playing well, but then the national team, yeah. they're a little weird, at least right now. I remember Twelman actually gave a stat. He was like, every time the USA have played like outside of CONCACAF, they've had a dismal record. God. And if that continues in the World Cup, then that's then, just not yeah, good news. Yeah. It's not good yeah. news. And I get, I get worried about that because this is who we have, right? This is the team we've built the last four years, and I'm very proud of it. I'm, I'm more than proud of it because, like I said, this team is so talented. And it's the team that I actually am proud to have represent me at a World Cup. But, man, this, this group is a lot tougher than I think people are giving it credit for. Even here in America, the pundits themselves, I think they're, I think they're a little bit too confident that they're going to get out of this group. I really do think so. I think they're basically saying they should beat Iran and Wales and that England will determine if they mm -hmm. have a good run or not. I think it's going to be a lot more complicated than that, man. I actually kind of mentioned it. That England game might not be the biggest game for the U.S., bro. It's going to be these games where we're playing against teams who are truly our caliber in Iran and Wales. We don't get points off of those games, then good luck against oh, England, yeah, bro. Done. Good done. luck against England. So I'm left with all that in mind. I'm left like in a middle ground. I don't know if I want to be really, really hyper about this team from a prediction point of view, or I don't know if I want to be super negative. I, I, I just, I truly don't know where this USA team is going to land because I think we said it in our Iran take. If Iran get it out of this group, I won't be surprised. Oh, at all. I won't bro. be surprised. It'd be, deserving It'd be so deserving. Yeah. And I, I'd be like, yeah, the USA got outdone. They got outdone by Iran and England and maybe even Wales. And we, we already said that Wales have the ability to play against top elite European sides. And if the USA is a CONCACAF side, then sure, they could beat the US. So bro, I, I don't know. I'm gonna go ahead and say this though for prediction yeah. perspective. Simply because I am from the USA, I, th I have the USA getting second. I have them getting out of this group. Yes, Captain America, Christian yes, Pulisic sir. will lead us to the promised land of that knockout stage. <laughs> And then from there, honestly, I don't care what happens. I really don't. Yeah, it'll be like that. For me, my objective is if we get out of this group, I am happy. Anything after that is just dessert. Damn. So, so that's yeah. what I have for the USA. Yeah, All I hope is that we put on a hell of a display in the group stage. And hey, if we can take it to any team in that round of 16, I'll be more than happy, bro. And that is the USA, folks. I ended up talking way more optimistically about this nation than I thought I ever would in my life. Hell yeah. But that, please let us know. What do you guys think about the United States? Are they going to be really good this tournament? Are they going to surprise? Are they, are they going to be really bad? Like, what do you guys think? Make sure to comment, like, and subscribe to keep updated with us as we continue dropping these world cup deep dives i'm excited for the next one that we do man and we'll see you guys soon peace, peace.